Welcome to the Makom Israel Teachers Lounge podcast, where we connect students and listeners with Israel by discussing and exploring current events and relevant issues. I am your host, Michael Unterberg, here as always with co-host Alan Goldman. How are you, Alan? Doing well, Mike. And today joined way too infrequently, but happy to see him. Benji Davis. How's it going, Benji? You can call me Mr. Podcaster. Hi, Mr. Podcaster. <laughs> yeah, but you have to come more often until you, so no, you we're can not get gonna call you that until your 10,000 hours. You, yeah. I need to get more Evites. <laughs> we are very excited to be beginning our new gap year, which is our day job. That's what most of our time and effort. More energy a night is, job than a day job, let's be honest. <laughs> okay, that's true. Yeah. But I meant our... More hours are put into that than into our podcasting identities. Uh, this past week, our colleague and producer of this podcast, Matt Lippman, became a featured blogger on the Times of Israel website for his article of recommendations, how to get the most out of your gap year. It was many, many, many hits. And so we are very much in the gap year mindset. I do want to take a moment to mention a weird thing in the news just to hash out that it, it, it gives... Uh, troubling questions about Israeli culture and society that I think is worth raising briefly. And then I want to go to our topic today of gap year. What is it? Why is it? How has it changed the Jewish world? How hasn't it changed the Jewish world? And in particular, why is it so different in the Orthodox and non-Orthodox communities? But Alan, can you briefly go over that weird story about the interchange with Hezbollah? And that unfortunately isn't so weird. We've right. had I mean, but, that's, that's coming off of our last week when we were discussing the tensions rising in the north. Sort of an epilogue to that, mm. this weird new tactic. Well, so what happened is, of course, the, the tensions boiled over into a direct, direct confrontation on Israel's northern border, um, which we were pretty much expecting. And the question was, is how the, once those things start, you never know how they're going to end. But all the, almost every, every single analyst was saying across the board, neither side wants this to... Um, develop into a much longer conflict. Both want to take, kind of ma- make a hit and say, okay, let's move on. I find that term order. mabam very helpful. Yeah. Mivzah bein hamilchamot. That, yeah. that, that everyone kind of thinks the war is inevitable, but everyone, both sides really, are trying to postpone it, but there's still right. there's still operations going on. Operations between wars, but, you know, they, we, they go on for, again, it's it has a lot to do with uh, also psychology, which is, um, the incident that you're referring to, which is Israel faked casualties um, to the extent that they put them in hel- peop- uh, soldiers in helicopters, put blood on them, took pictures of them landing at the hospital at Rambam Hospital in in Haifa, and that went on the internet. And then uh, Hezbollah claimed victory mm-hmm. uh, over uh, injuring or even killing Israeli soldiers. Israel pounded Hezbollah with about 100 um, uh, attacks, uh, and then everything calmed down. And then after everything calmed down, um, Israel, the prime minister, in fact, uh, Netanyahu, announced that there were no casualties. And everyone was like, how could there be no casualties? We all we saw, saw them. them. And then they said, oh, that was just a, uh, a psychological warfare to get them to think that they hit us and that they would stop. <laughs> so you could call it fake news, but it's not really fake news because fake news is when um, I think is like some uh, some Russian living yeah, in the Ukraine exactly creating puts out a fake news organ creating to, to turn the agenda or affect it, a social agenda. This was uh, 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 I think this was a an inten- facet of war. It was intentional. Yeah, an intentional facet of war that's been used since. Probably time. time immemorial when they started, you know, banging their drums to make people scared of, you know, the Trojan horse. Affair. 
Yeah. Oh, there you go. Good one. But it is the well, it is the government using the media and even journalists to send out false messages to, of course, to Hezbollah, but also to the Israeli public, which means that the government but, is saying. But the government never said anybody was hurt. Right. The government didn't announce anybody was hurt. They just took a helicopter and flew it and landed it and took people out. You With know. guys covered in fake blood. Yeah. But they said they're, you know, my son did that once. My son did that. They did, he did, when they do these major training exercises, so they need people to pretend to be the wounded. Exactly. So my son was, uh, did a few different, he was wounded. And then once he was a, uh, he was a corpse and they zipped him into a body bag. (laughs) And he, I was like, well, that's weird. He's like, oh, he didn't think it would be a big deal. And he was like really freaked freaked out. out. For sure. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. So they're, they're practiced at fake injury as, as literally as practice. Yeah. So here, but they did it. I don't know. There's something vaguely Orwellian and creepy, which is also why I think, I mean, if they're trying to fool Hezbollah, why did they that next day go, like within hours, really? Because Hezbollah is still claiming that they killed soldiers because they know that Hezbollah, all they need is that that shot and Hezbollah says we, we did a win because they, they yeah, but they their, don't care about that. Yeah, but their video shows like it really did hit the, the, the AP, what was it? The it did. Armored it, truck. APC, yeah. Okay, but it I'll give did, you. It did hit it. Right, but there was the nobody trap. in it. But there was nobody in it. No, that's not true. Yeah, yeah. They, there was people, nobody in it. No, I just saw. That's what Israel said. No, but it just came out that actually it was really close, and there were five people in this APC, and the shrapnel hit the tires, and it went off the road. That. I didn't see that. I just read. I just read that. Okay, okay. you're more up to date. Yeah. I don't know if I just saw that. Okay. And David Look, Horowitz me, had this whole. Uh, but but that goes back to um, Mike's point. Op-ed on this. That goes, that goes back to Mike's point. I don't know what's real. Why, he said. How can we trust the footage of a terrorist organization like Hezbollah more than what's coming out through A, our own media, or B, from our own government? That's the problem. That's really it freaky un- for him. It undermines the ability to know what's true, which in a democracy is essential. We have to agree on what the facts are and then get into an argument over policy. Let me give you a... a and then, I don't think tricking, he- tricking Hezbollah yeah. is not a bad thing. Right. And, no. he, and that's what, and, and one <laughs> that's could say. A good thing. And one could say even we can trust them because when they when it was done and the fake was out, they came clean with it. You said why did they announce it afterwards? Because they came clean with it. This was just like you know Israel during operations does not give out uh, information. In other words, if a rocket hits, it doesn't say where the rocket hit in the specifics, only in generalities. The, the enemy doesn't know. So here too, the, the, it's done. Now we can tell you what the. Let me give you a practical application. Great. Uh, the Nazis did this in Poland to launch World War II. Let's say yeah. Israel decides, you know what? We're really ready to take on Hezbollah. We can clean them out. But we need a provocation. We can't just invade Lebanon. We want to be defensive. It's the Israel Defensive Force. So we want to be offensive but look like we're defensive. So when they shoot a rocket, we're going to fake casualties, make it look like soldiers were wounded or even killed. And therefore, that'll justify our launch. And then they don't tell us that they were lying. Or it comes out six months later that they were lying. Um, so then I would say that does cross a line. Yeah, it's pretty bad. Uh, but I don't think that's the same thing as here. Uh, it is not the same thing as here. I'm making, so, I'm making, you know, I, I guess I am making slope. a slippery slope there. argument. Make, right. But uh, it, 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 I don't, uh, it's troubling. I don't uh, know that they've crossed the line, but it I mean, troubles I guess me deeply. I guess that's where you have to, I think that slippery slope, which, I mean, I see it and I'm not going to, you know, that is definitely a possibility. Yeah. And I understand the questions of trust and this and that, but I, I think that that's where I, generally would pull back on you know trusting those people in charge of the army who actually are Israel defense and not and not trust um, but verify that. 
Right. Trust but I don't trust. Okay. I, I, I'll trust them, but I need to verify. Again, but I but I trust the Look, system entering, that there's enough people that were in that system. I don't. That 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 I don't. made the call. I do. I still don't know who killed Kennedy. The the <laughs> we're we're entering a period now. LBJ. Yeah. <laughs> we're entering a period now of deep fakery, deep fakes, where where you could fake things in the news in the past. Now you can do deep fakes, where you can show a video of I don't know Bibi Netanyahu hugging Yasser Arafat. You know that that special effects are now at the point where certainly governments can absolutely put things in front of our eyes that are deceptive, and so we're entering a very sketchy world. And while I, I understand your argument, psychops against Hezbollah, no problem. But things that fool your own public. Look, before the Six Day War, for example, Israel had very clear. The Israeli military had a very clear assessment of what that war would look like, and they knew we would win. Is not easily. But they knew we would win relatively quickly and that this wasn't an existential threat to Israel. But, they well, didn't they, tell they the knew, public. Well, they knew if we'd launched the first strike, that was the difference. That's why they did the first strike. It would take the, half the right. time as if we were invaded. Yeah. But and, and the assessment was like a week or two. In other words, one fewer – yeah, preempting was much smarter. It would take a week. Not preempting would take like two weeks. And that's well, that was that was also in coordination. The Pentagon had the same assessment. They didn't tell the Israeli public. The Israeli public was panicking before the Six-Day War. Correct. Really, people were really essentially afraid. No, Not also, only the Israeli public, but Jews around the world. Well, also the also the government. I mean, they were built. They were Levi Eshko was not a military guy. Yep. The yep. Now that wasn't psychological. That was in, in case sense, they were wrong. wrong. And so the Israelis were seeing that, but they weren't seeing the other side. So the government has to be very careful what it discloses. Like your example about where rockets landed, it has to take the psychology of the enemy very carefully. But there is in a democracy, the government has a requirement to a certain degree of transparency and then concerned citizens can argue when they cross the line this is new and weird so, enough that it raises my so that's where, sense. so i guess the where we're differing is that i would say coming clean afterwards that's transparency i hear that 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 that's what i'm saying yeah like had we had six months down the line they come out and said hey by the way or and got, got caught and like all of a sudden, the news media is like looking for people, and they came clean right away. That um, I, I feel that's transparency, and also Israel's a small enough country that <laughs> I hope right. you're right. I hope you you're right. Things can. I hope you're right. I just I just don't like relying on their good judgment. And now that I know that they're willing to do that, so now I have to trust their good judgment that they'll come clean. Right. So I'm not disagreeing with anyone necessarily. Right. I don't know that we're disagreeing, but uh, we're, we're we're articulating different sides of right. the event. Uh, Benji, you were pointing out that very often people think of gap year as this big change in Jewish education, but you don't think it's a big change in the Jewish world. I think we just transitioned. I did. Uh, yeah. Nice. Please segue. Nice. No segue. Is there like just music straight... that we usually play? What do you think? Restate your thesis that you were saying before we recorded that gap year is a blip. Oh, um, when people think about like uh, Israel education um, and who it's um, supposedly trying to impact or in the different frameworks that uh, a learner, a student, a participant, uh, et cetera, could you know, receive in Israel education. Um, gap year's not really in the conversation, whether it's you know, uh, blogs, whether it's in academic scholarship and literature, whether it's in sermons and high holidays and shuls, or just in kind of communal conversations, I mean, right now you have the kind of day schools or camps and informal 
frameworks or you have uh, the semesters, which are also, you know, there could be day school or a public school mm-hmm. like coming on Alexander Musk and things like that, or coming on short-term trips to Israel, whether through birthright, which, you know, brings, I think, almost 50,000 people a year, or on... For 10-day trips. For 10-day trips, or coming in the summer, um, usually on some sort of internship program or coming on an internship program after college. Or, um, or a travel program, high school travel, travel program. High school travel summer. program, like I did Ramas Seminar in 2003. Yeah. I had a really horrible guide in Poland. His name was Alan. Uh, <laughs> uh, full transparency, Alan was my Poland seminar guide. He was fantastic. Um, I went to Camp Moledit, which doesn't exist since the second intifada, led uh, by Yotav Eliach, my teacher. Interesting. Um, so, <laughs> if true. So what I think is interesting is, number one, um, for us as Israel educators working in gap year, um, why that's not a part of the communal conversation, and it might be quite obvious. Um, And then secondly, most of the Israel education conversation is really a jumping point um, from, let's say, when Peter Beinart said that in his article in 2010 about the failure of the American Jewish establishment to engage liberal American Jews with Israel. And now it's really just kind of an orthodox thing. Well, if you look at gap years, you know, Alan just said that there are about 3,000 gap year students and only about 10% of them are in non-orthodox frameworks um, here in Israel. So then is the gap year, uh, this failure of the American Jewish establishment, um, should we not be engaging with Orthodox Jews coming here because they're already like bought in? So then is Israel education just about engaging people who aren't engaged, who aren't connected or don't have a relationship? Um, is it just about getting those people who are on the periphery of the Jewish community, come on birthright, come on this, come on that? Meaning um, you're talking about funding. No, no, no. I'm, uh, I'm not there yet. I'm just talking I mean, like, about. What do you mean? Should we not? I mean, should attention. Is, you're talking like about attention. That, when and we focus talk about Israel education, we're mo- we gap year. If you're coming on a gap year, it already means that you're so committed to being Jewish. So we're not worried about your distancing because you're willing to take a year from your life trajectory, from normally going from high school to college to come to Israel, whether it's volunteering or studying in yeshiva or, you know, going on the Bon Judaity, et cetera. I'll I'll reinforce what you're saying even more. Last year, I was on a a first-ever conference in Israel about programs in Israel, like Israel education on Israel programs, and Gapier wasn't part of it. It was completely... They've despaired. There. Yeah. Look, I'll give you the... I don't know if they've despaired. I don't think it's on the radar. I think what Benji's saying is not on the radar because it's really exclusively in the Orthodox world. I think that that's to me. Or I, those kids are already bought in, so who cares? Well, therefore, right. I'll For the you, non-Orthodox I'll, ones. I'll give you the other side of that coin, which is that in the Orthodox day school world where Gapier is such a norm that the vast majority of Orthodox day school students do a Gapier, their Israel education is not a priority... Because, because they think, oh, they'll well, just do it in Israel? No, Because they're in Israel, so they don't have to do Israel education. Yeah. And what we call Israel education, they, they right? But right. they're already... But, but, in other words, they think... That, it's two again, different things. Our, I don't know if I could say this, but like, you know, we teach in gap years, and a lot of the schools call it Israel advocacy, and that's like the opposite of what we're doing. I like, it's it, the opposite, but... It's a, no, we just... I mean, it's definitely different. I would say, words, okay, fair enough. No, we think the best way to have someone... Uh, you know, be able to walk on campus and and get into an Israel discussion is a hardcore education. Correct, that, but I'm not. A, I'm, but yeah, not interested in them becoming 
activists for becoming activists. I'm not sake. training people to be activists. Correct. I want to understand Israel better. Of course, if they that want will to be inform, an activist, they can the, autonomously choose that. And if having that come from our course, but, that's a good thing. But it's about the autonomous choice whether they want to be activists, whether they don't want to be activists. It's about being able to be articulate in those Israel conversations and having a passion for whatever they conceive Israel to be for themselves. We digress. Huh? Yeah. Question at hand, which is, which is gap year should right. It's not. It, I think Benji's making a good point that it that it is a blip that it's not really affecting the Jewish world uh, in a large way, and in the Orthodox world, I do think it is. Uh, first of all, I, I think I think numerically it is the majority of the Orthodox day school world, and I don't know that it's affecting yeah. that world in a major way. I don't know that it's uh, changing American Orthodoxy. Mm. Uh, well, no, there's been some def- stuff written on, but I, I don't know if that's well, I think more. Well, c- kids come back more from than their communities and their families and their parents. Yeah, they balance out. It depends. Right. Even kids come thinking there's different, whatever. There's stuff. There's stuff sure, written, but, but that's on the more of, religious than the, on the, religious on the, the Israel scale. Right. On the Israel, on the Israel spectrum, I don't know. One can even argue, because one can even argue as close to the non-Orthodox world that's not really sending on the gap year. The students who are coming in gap year for the Israel experience are actually not coming for an Israel experience right. as much as they are as a base midrash experience. I use the base and you know, uh, or finding, a, a I would learning. say a finding yourself a growing experience, which is very important. That's a good right. age for it. Right. It's and, like before I go to college, let me figure out who I am, and in particular, uh, in relation to my Jewish identity. Right. And Israel is a part of that, but it's but it's not. Um, uh, prioritized. Prioritized. In fact, the the the, the truth. It doesn't is, have to be in Israel, is what you're saying. Mm, no, I think it does give it. No, I think it does have to do in Israel. But it, Israel, Israel is seen in the in the reflection of a religious experience, I, which I think, by the way, is very telling. In other words, yeah. the very fact that they wouldn't consider doing a gap year in a yeshiva somewhere else or a midrashah, but would, ha- of course, it has to be in Israel. Right? Is 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 a, is a unconscious awareness that Israel is central to Jewish identity, especially the state right. of Israel and being here is central to Jewish identity in the 21st century. But is it but the that, because state it's of not Israel explicit, which is central? And I, I, would yeah. just, I would just only want to add that in yeah, terms well, of... It's the existence of Israel as is. But now, I've, isn't it more the value of Israel and Jewish tradition? Well, we've always had that for 2,000 years and most people didn't study in Israel. Because they couldn't. Right. right. So something has changed, which means that Jewish identity has now changed. And that should be explicitly addressed in education, and it is not. Correct. Uh, it's su- it's implicit, it's subtle, it's just not talked about, right. it's just taken for granted. It's time to articulate it. Uh, well, well, that's what, what we're trying to what, do. What's interesting oh, in terms of orthodox, <laughs> the non-Orthodox program, what's interesting in terms of non-Orthodox programs is they are Israel programs. Meaning yeah, their focus absolutely. is almost completely on We've, Israel. When is we teach the, there, those are the, the we, are, we are talking about um, topics that they are addressing day in, day out. Yeah, so even though they're the minority... Which you say like about ten percent of the gap year um, students that are here, they are the ones focusing totally on the Israel questions. I mean, the totally. That's but the focus. Again, yeah. I mean, it's the it's it's the anchor of the program. Yeah. In other words, the anchor of the Orthodox gap year programs is not Israel, right. even even in the B'nai Kiva world. Right. Right. The anchor so is not Israel. Could we say then it's um, we can divide up the gap year world based on expressions of American Jewishness, where like American yeah. Orthodoxy is expressing their religious their religious identity. Whereas the the liberal American Jews are coming on these programs and are expressing their kind of pro-Israelism, if you want to call it that way, American Jewish Well, they're identity. more self-aware that Israel is a key central part of their Jewish identity. And so they're exploring that part of their Jewish identity. But isn't, would you say it's, 
um, like from a positive lens or kind of just by default? Because if you're not engaged in like Jewish practice from a religious perspective, let's say in a, you know, kind of a, an Orthodox person is, which is all encompassing of their life every single day, everything that they do. Um, and, but you're still an active Jew living in America. Um, you know, what is the meaning in being an active Jew living in America? If you're not a practicing religious Jew, you know, it's, we've talked about in our first class, right? It's remembering the Holocaust, right? Or, uh, you know, some sort of conception of God, which they probably don't really care about necessarily because you're liberal, secular, or whatever you want to call it. So then coming on a gap year here is filling in that Israel void in their lives and trying to explore that further and what it means. I'm not saying this is an academic theory. I'm just I, I, I see that through a positive light by training. In other words, I see that as positive growth. I don't see that as Oh, you're making up for a lack. I see that as a reaching. That is a positive. No, no, no. It's not a lack. It's be, it, it filled in the gap when it, there's no religion. Okay, what is being Jewish being? Clearly, yeah. it's about Israel. But it's what's missing. I think um, there's an intention in that is it's not about Zionism. Like, I don't think so, those programs are about no, I don't think Zionism. It's about Israel engagement and yeah. what Israel means for you. Yeah. And it doesn't mean you have to come away saying, I'm a proud Zionist. I, 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 but I, I think I, I wouldn't make such a black and white distinction yeah. between uh, religious and non and secular or non-religious. Like a lot of these programs are religious. They're just not orthodox. Mm -hmm. So that line is a little bit more is a little bit more blurry um, mm -hmm. between the Israel and religious than you have in the in the orthodox. What I it mean doesn't is, have an explicit framework. It's engaged in without yeah. a context that explains it. In other words, the Orthodox have a context. We have a covenant with God, and this is how we interact with God through this covenant. Right. If right. you're not in the Orthodox world, then there's Jewish culture and heritage, and how, what does that mean to me? Right. And so it doesn't have the same, but I'm still engaging but, in Jewish heritage and culture and text. And, and heritage and culture has a religious expression many times. I mean, historically, right. that's what it's I mean, been. Even now. So, and that's certainly. why I would say one of the biggest issues for non-Orthodox Jews who are involved is the Kotel issue. Like why? Why is that issue right? I mean, that's a religion because religion is very important. They can't practice in their religion world. in Israel, in exactly. the most holy place for exactly accessible Judaism. Because again, today. that's Amer American Jews. In the end of the day, even in the non-Orthodox world, much of their connection is what we would call religious, even if we call right. it cultural right. religious, right? That it's a religious expression. Um, for the gap year students, the things that come up to me who aren't Orthodox is religious. It's yeah. you know, it's it's annoying that you can't travel by bus around Israel. On Shabbat, it's it seems morally wrong to me that there's no uh, that you have to get married only by an Orthodox rabbi that there aren't other forms of civil marriage. So the, by the, the way, our Orthodox students are blown away by that also when we when we tell them, which they don't usually know. Well, because they don't understand yeah. the relationship of religion and state in Israel, no, they I'm have saying, but misconceptions still, and both they're also still. very American. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm saying it's a it's a right. Well, I, I think the distinction has to be between religiously observant, right, and not religiously observant. Traditionally observant. I don't know what the right... I'm, not, I'm trying either. to find the right language, yeah. but I, Again, I know what, what I'm you, saying. Using which the is, word religious is a problem. No, because they're all religious. Uh, practicing. Pra you can talk practicing in their... In their devoted to traditional yeah. practice. Meticulous right. on traditional practice. I don't know how else to... No, that's why I prefer it's orthodox, orthodox Jewish expression or pluralistic Jewish yeah. expression. Do you yeah. think realistically the non-orthodox world, which is struggling in many ways to perpetuate education has a better shot at gap. You're right. I agree with you that gap. Well, Cause what are the pluralistic impact. kids going home to? 
They don't have a framework to go home to. They don't fit into the mold of some sort of uh, institutional life. So you're arguing that gap year should be pushed harder? Or is that, because I, I could see a pushback uh, saying, look, we're having enough trouble getting them uh, you know, on birthright and these different Israel education experiences. Gap year is just a real reach. So I, I will say 100% we should be making a push for it, even if it's a reach. And I'll say it uh, this way. We know that that year after high school is a monumental year for any uh, any any person, Young adult. wherever they go, yeah, any whatever they go, whatever they're doing next is a monumental year. There's lots of changes that happen, and it's not only the fact that they're you know moved out of one uh, framework to another, but there's they're also do that again in college. there's psychological changes that come a person. There's there's intellectual changes from lots of different things by doing a gap year. That to me, it's not that it's not that they're going to make you know that they're they're going to make major changes here that they're not going to make somewhere else. Is that there's two things that a student gets out of this. One is that parents are letting know, and the community in in, in the big in the bigger community is letting know this young adult, this is a priority. Mm-hmm. That your Jewish identity is a priority, and Israel, as a major part of that Jewish identity, is a priority. It's central to that, identity. and essential to that identity. So therefore, that message in and of itself is a very important message that will do it. And then a lot of these things that students struggle with at this age are able to be then seen in that context. Mm-hmm. So as opposed to struggling it within a different context, so that's going to be a framing for their life. This context will be a frame of life. Whatever they choose, however they choose to go with it, this will help frame them for their life. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that I would argue that that's why it really should be. Um, and I would, add, I would add to your point, and I, you know, I haven't been teaching gap year for... You've been teaching long Your enough. whole life. Well, Alan's been, I'm just comparing myself to Alan. Alan's no, been doing this for over 30 years, teaching gap years in Israel. This so, is my 30th year. Wow. Uh-huh. I, I he's actually not teaching. Why, why, are we, why do we not have a lachayim <laughs> in my hand? Yeah. Why can't I? Uh, but uh, uh, I, I would add that there's, it, it's not, Israel programs and gap year are not just, I think this is obvious, are not just, it's not a quantitative difference, it's a qualitative right. difference. Correct. Correct. When you go to sleep, every night and wake up every morning for months in a place, you have an understanding of it, an awareness of it, a consciousness of it, an experience of it that is fundamentally different. When you're not thinking about, you know, packing your bags, you know, right. at the end of the 10 days or the two weeks, it's very different. And you really do- For where form, you're going next. Yeah. Because you're just home. You're just, yeah, you know where you're going is back to home. And, and you know, you have that psychological sense of centeredness. And everything, so I, I I think that it's as Israel are we argue that as Israel becomes more central to Jewish identity moving forward, then the gap year experience becomes more important. It, especially when it's explicitly you know educating on this issue of Israel and your Jewish identity. And by the it, way, it's equally important for both populations. Yeah, for the same reasons or different reasons. Yeah. Um, uh, ultimately the same, although it may manifest a little bit differently. So I'll put it to you guys that way, because okay. although I've been teaching and involved, it's more involved in gap year for 30 years, um, you both did gap year programs. Um, one of you an Orthodox one, one of you a non-Orthodox Correct. one. And so I was wondering how, if you reflect back on that, yeah, sure. How what, what was the impact in your own personal lives? Well, Benji remembers this better because it was much more recent. <laughs> Mine was 1986, 1987, so. Yeah. Um, I mean, I just had a great year, you know, when I 
think about it when I was there at the time. Like, you know, this right. was great. Friends, social. Um, uh, I loved living on Kibbutz. I loved living in the center of Jerusalem. What program I, like, were you on? I was on a TV, the college leadership program in Israel. That's what it's still called. Yeah. Um, through the conservative movement. Um, I think for me, it was really, I mean, I just grew up in the conservative movement and checked the Romano SY, so it kind of solidified a lot of the educational principles, I think, that uh, have been a part of my life up until now and really kind of solidified me as, you know, committed to um, Jewish tradition, committed to Zionism and the values that have been important um, to me growing up. And I knew as an individual um, that I would continue on that path of, of being committed to those values and... Um, I was always really committed to Israel and a strong Zionist, so Aliyah was on my mind before Nativ, Um, and it really kind of solidified it just because I liked living in Israel, and that was the most meaningful thing for me. But uh, very few of your contemporaries went to St. About path. 10% of my trip made Aliyah. Yeah, right. trip, if you want to call it that. Right, right. Um, which I don't know the statistics, but uh, that could be high, could be... I, I'm assuming... Um, I think it's about... Around average. Yeah. Um, but... Um, for me, I didn't anticipate that I'm still so connected to the gap year because now I'm teaching there, I think right. third or fourth year now, um, through our program. I live close by. I've had friends that have, uh, the, the director is still the same director. I've had friends who've been assistant directors in Madrichim and, and Madrichot. Um, that Welcome Back Hotter thing is amazing when you get to teach where you learn. Yeah, and yeah. it really connects me to the students. And I always know students every year because they were at camp. And they're like, oh, you were the Roche doll that year and blah, blah, blah. Right. Uh, or they know my siblings or and it, and it keeps right. on coming. So I'm a part of the community um, and it's a part of me. Uh, and it really, uh, while I couldn't have said that it was so important for me, um, looking back on it, like, would I be living where I am in Israel and doing what I'm doing if I didn't go on Nativ? Um, would be tough to say, just as, but if right. I didn't go to Ramah or if I didn't go to Jewish right, day school, it's as equally important as all the educational environments I was a part of. I think that's what I would say. I would say, and, you know, I went to Yeshiva Flappish along, well, not along with Ben here, <laughs> who's sitting silently beside us, engineering us through. Ben also went to Flappish, but I was there a long time before he was. And uh, my, my, I mentioned Yotav Elich earlier, oddly, because when's the last time I mentioned him on the podcast? But he said to me before my year in Israel, he said, you know, if a person's planning to be a doctor or a lawyer, they know they have to spend a certain amount of time focusing on, if they want to be a good one, in school, really focusing on what it means to be a good doctor. If you plan on being serious about your Jewish identity for the rest of your life, you need to take time after high school. High school is not enough. It's not enough to be a doctor. It's not enough to be a lawyer. And in some ways, it's not enough to be a, a really focused Jew. So gap year is something very important to your own identity. And I took that very seriously. So I so I went to a yeshiva, yeshiva at a kotel. And for me, I was very self- Ah, you're also teaching at your gap year then. Nope. No. Oh, no, you teach at Harova, right? I, <laughs> I, uh, I, self, I was very self-aware that it was an important in real time. And back in that, in my day, like a 50% of my- I don't know, 200 person graduating class went to Israel, and that was exceptional. Right. In 1986-87, you weren't getting from Orthodox day schools a majority. You were getting a minority, and the minority right. was growing. So when we hit 50%, they were, you know, thrilled. Right. Um, and yeah, it was very impactful. A lot of self-thought, a lot of, uh, I had, you know, well, my father passed away that year, so it was also a major transition in a lot right. of ways, psychologically yeah. and emotionally. But, uh, but yeah, I was self-aware that it was a year for, Growth and self thought, and 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 laying out a set of 
uh, laying out a, a credo for myself that I would commit to and live by and what that credo would be. So, and, and, and I'll tell you the truth, I think part of the advantage of when it wasn't expected that you would spend a gap year was that many of us, if not all of us, were very thoughtful about why we were doing, because it wasn't just go with the flow. It was a perfectly mm -hmm. normal, if not the majority option to not do a gap year. Those of us doing it were making a very careful consideration and doing it with a set of goals in mind. Uh, and, and so, so I think that so, to a certain extent, the non-Orthodox students have that advantage also. They don't all come because they're, but many do come for a year of self-growth as opposed to many in the Orthodox world who just come because that's what you do when you finish high school. Right. Yeah. I think I was the only person in my high school. I went to a Jewish high school, 140 graduating, came on a gap year, but it was pushed really much in my youth group. But still, you were very few went. And yeah. you came. You that's... came with a purpose. Definitely. And I think that that's. I think I agree with both of you that gap year is something that should be focused on more in the world of Jewish education. And I think that that focus should be that you should go with a purpose. That we should be much more articulate about that in both the whether it's the Orthodox or non-Orthodox settings. This is a year for you to choose a series of important goals of self-development. Yeah. And we can't tell you what those are. We can help you. We can mentor you through them. But that's really what you should be coming for. And that's why I thought Matt's article had really good suggestions for how to – I think that's why it hit a nerve on Times of Israel. That's why people are like, oh, yeah. let me share that because that it's in, insight into how to be self-aware that this is a year for yeah. growth and how to take advantage right. of it. As they like to say in the gap year world, this is not a year off. It's a year on. Right. Well, that's as Alan likes to say in the gap year world. No. And all the annoying stuff. As, yeah. as the dads in the gap year world. No, but it's, like, uh, no, the it's how you can develop yeah. your character in a Jewish uh, environment or in an Israel environment. It's like it's the human side of you and the Jewish side of you um, combined. Um, and that's why it's so great. Yeah, yeah, that's the kind of human I am. So uh, by being the best Jew and the most developed Jew for myself I can be, I'm the best human I can be. Right. Yeah. Well, that's nice. Oh, well, that could be. Uh, I know we're trying to end, but um, that could be uh, in the non-orthodox world. It's you know, it's about if it was more focused on the self and the human side, less on the Israel and the Jewish side. Maybe that would be more attractive. Well, your point was that that should be articulated more and more, and focused right. on more and more, and expressed more and more. Not that, but I, I think it, I, I think what none of us are saying that there's any reason that should be a challenging notion. Of course, that's true, and it should just be focused on more. Um. So I take it we all like our jobs? Uh, yeah. Okay, cool. It's a nice gig. <laughs> it is. It is. It is a nice gig. Uh, well, thank you, gentlemen. Thank you, Alan. Thank you, Mike. Thank, thank you, you, Benji. And of course, as always, thank you, Ben, for engineering us to thank the you, end ben. of the episode, which is what this is. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Macomb Israel Teacher's Lounge podcast. Don't forget to share, subscribe, rate, and review. Join us next time. Thank you.